Um, I'm a scientist. And uh, my job is basically doing science shows. So I, I work for a company based in Cardiff, and we've got about 17 different shows on all aspects of science and engineering. And tonight I'm here to talk to you about the Bloodhound supersonic car. So I hope you're all in the right place, and nobody's confused about why I'm talking about that. I thought this was a microbiology lecture. This is a moment to leave, if that's the case. So, for some of you all here, we want to hear about Bloodhound. And um, just before I start, just to say, uh, this is quite an informal lecture from my point of view. I mean, I use the word lecture. It's more of a show, really. I'm going to be doing lots of uh, experiments. Some of them I need some volunteers. I can see there are loads of young people in the audience. You don't have to be young to volunteer, though. Don't be inhibited. I, I'm quite happy for mums and dads and anybody else to come up and help me as well. But hopefully I'll get uh, lots of people involved during the show. And if you're doing the now or anything, that's fine. It's not like being in school. You don't have to ask my permission. So just carry on, okay? And uh, hopefully we'll have a really great time um, in the next hour or so, finding out all about the engineering involved in Bloodhound, in breaking the uh, land speed record. That's what Bloodhound's all about. It's all about building a car which is going to go a 1,000 miles an hour to try and break the land speed record. The current record is 764 miles an hour. So we're not just breaking it a little bit, we're breaking it a lot, okay? We're going way, way beyond what's already been done. And that's going to involve some huge engineering challenges for the people involved in this project. Um, before I start talking too much, I'm going to actually show you a little promotional video made by the Bloodhound team, which perhaps gives you a taste of just sort of how big a project this is. Now, the car's not actually built yet. So this is a, like a cartoon car, if you like. It's a, a graphic uh, simulation of what's going to be happening. But uh, it should give you a taste of the sort of challenge that we're up against. Yeah, there's lots more of them as well. I'm glad that you like them.
Right. Just get that back again. So that's our challenge to build that car. Okay, and that is quite a challenge. You probably spotted it's not like other cars. Okay, to go to a thousand miles an hour, we need to do things very, very differently. And what we're going to do is look at some of the different aspects of engineering something like that. What we have to do when we think about the shape and the design of the car, how are we going to power the car? You can't just put in a normal car engine and expect it to turn the wheels at a thousand miles an hour. That's not going to happen. So we have to do things very differently than you would if you were designing a different sort of car. Before we uh, look at all of that, let's go back a moment and think about where we're actually coming from in the first place. This is our goal. This is the Bloodhound car. This is the design at the moment, but the design evolves constantly as uh, new ideas, new engineering comes up. So this may change again. But uh, this is what we're aiming for. And this is where it all started a very long time ago, about 200 years ago almost. This is the first car, okay, and it's more like a tractor really. Uh, it's designed um, based, based on the steam locomotive engine and its job was to carry cannonballs and to carry uh, military stuff around. Its um, top speed was two miles an hour, which sounds like a very nice gentle sedate pace to be going, doesn't it? But it, it wasn't flawless and its maiden voyage was uh, not a great one. It, crashed into a wall, and what that picture is, um, is those people trying to pull it out of the wall. So, not a very auspicious start to land speed records, but uh, that was 10 miles an hour. Followed in 1830-something, uh, 1832, I think, by this car, uh, which was really, you know, starting to race along now at a very heady top speed of 37 miles an hour. So uh, that, for the time, was considered absolutely outrageous. People were up in arms, you know, this dangerous machine and far too fast for anything. I mean, nowadays, of course, 37 miles an hour is not considered to be very fast at all. But, uh, but at the time, it was really revolutionary. And actually, what's quite interesting about this car, well, I think it's quite interesting, is that we've kind of gone full cycle. This is actually an electric car. So we're now going back to trying to design electric cars because we've realised that we're running out of, of uh, diesel and petrol to put in our cars. We're going back to the, uh, the electric design, but the first cars were electric cars. But uh, you don't see much of uh, that sort of thing around on the roads anymore. People might recognise this one. Does anybody know what kind of car that is? Oh, go on then. Go on, what did you say? Bugatti it is a Bugatti Veyron, isn't it? That's what you can say as well. And uh, if anyone fancies owning one of these, I did have a look for you. I've done some background research. And there's one on eBay. Well, there was. It might not be there anymore. So um, it's going for a mere £1,475,000. So if anybody wants it, you know, I think that's, you know, the buy now price. So, I don't know, it might, might change if you start bidding. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not a cheap car, okay? This is, you know, a hugely powerful machine. Uh, top speed of 250 miles an hour. Why? I have no idea where you're going to drive at 250 miles an hour in this country. I don't know. But anyway, people like them. So, I thought it would be quite interesting to compare 
The Bugatti Veyron, which is probably uh, the, you know, the, the car that most people have heard of, the, the state-of-the-art car, and Bloodhound. So I've made some top trumps, just like you used to play at school. And uh, I need somebody who wants to have a go at being the Bugatti Veyron top trump. Who would like to do that? Would, uh, would you like to? You might need some help. Because what we're going to do is we're going to play a game where you have to pick something about your car and see if you can beat my car. So pick yourself a category and, and see whether your car or my car is better. Oh, good idea. <coughs> Fuel consumption. Right, you've picked the right one. Bloodhound does not do well on fuel consumption, I must say. How much fuel does your Bugatti Veyron use? 2.46 miles per gallon. Well, that's pretty rubbish, isn't it? I mean, I've got a, a little Fiesta, okay? It doesn't do much, but it does about 50 miles per gallon. So, quite like my little Fiesta. 2.46 doesn't sound great until you look at Bloodhound. Bloodhound's fuel consumption is 0.04 miles per gallon. <laughs> That's an expensive car. But it only has to do one job, okay? So it might have rubbish fuel consumption, but it's going to do one journey. So it's worth it as far as the team are concerned. It has to carry 7,000 litres of fuel to do the record. Seven Imagine standing at the petrol station. You'd be there all day, wouldn't you? So, a lot of fuel. It's got rubbish fuel consumption, but it can do other things very well. Thank you very much. Was anybody else like a go? Let's try one more, see if anybody can beat my, uh, my bloodhound. Well done, you did very well there. Uh, let's go over here. Would you like to have a try? What do you like to pick? Height. Height. And how high is the Bugatti Veyron? 1.2 metres. That's quite a big car, isn't it? Bloodhound is 2.8 metres high. It's huge. It's massively high, okay? So Bloodhound is bigger than any other car that you will see on the road. It's bigger than a lorry, okay? Maybe not taller than a lorry, but it's definitely longer than a lorry. So Bloodhound's a very, very big car. Thank you very much. One more. Does anybody else want to go at playing top trumps? Let's go back to this side of the room. There you go. Shout it out for us. What category are you going to choose? Acceleration. Acceleration. Right. Very interesting. What's the acceleration of the Bugatti? Not 16.3 seconds. My Fiesta doesn't do that. I'll tell you that for nothing. It's good, but it's not as good as Bloodhound. Not 60 in 1.2 seconds. Wow. The G-forces are incredible, okay? So we're looking at a really special kind of car when we're making Bloodhound, aren't we? Right, thank you very much. Let's give all our players a round of applause. Well done, thank you. Let's look at a comparison between the two. Okay, Bloodhound is very, very heavy. 6,500 kilograms, okay? Much, much heavier than the Bugatti Veyron. It's huge, okay, 12.8 metres long. That's massive. I'm trying to think what it would be in comparison to this room. Possibly about the same size as this room. Very big car. And uh, obviously, no one was going to challenge me on, on speed. Bloodhound is built for speed. It's built to break the national, the uh, 
world record. So its top speed is 1,050 miles an hour. The Bugatti Veyron is a lovely, fast car, but it's not as fast as Bloodhound, okay? What do I need to do to design a car that's going to go at that kind of top speed? Well, we need to think first of all about the shape of the car. And you can see something very special about Bloodhound. What's special about the shape of Bloodhound, the, the bottom car there? Yeah? It's very streamlined, isn't it? Absolutely, the perfect word. What else? Exactly, it looks a bit like Concorde. I always think that's why it's got a really pointy nose. That's great for pushing through the air. And that's the most important thing to think about when you're designing a car like Bloodhound. They need to think about how to push through the air really, really well to get it out the way. And when you're traveling at a thousand miles an hour, any tiny little bumps on the surface of the car, any little bits of wing in the wrong place or anything like that, could mean disaster, because at 1,000 miles an hour, if the car wobbles a bit, that's really bad news for the driver. Okay, So the shape is really critically important, and it's all about streamlining, making it that perfect, fast shape, and making sure there's no irregularities, nothing that's going to tip the car over. Now, this is a bit of a misleading picture, so just to give you an idea of the size of Bloodhound, that's what they look like to scale. Okay. So there's the Bugatti there, and you could practically fit it inside Bloodhound in the middle there. It's a massive car that we're looking at building now. Right, let's think about the shape. I mentioned about pushing through air, and it's really, really easy to forget about air. We don't really think about it, do we? It's just there. We don't need to think about it. It's a bit like nothing. It's tempting to think of it as nothing. In fact, if anybody here just grabs a bit of air for me, okay? Just get some in your hands. Brilliant. Sniff it. Does it smell of anything? No. Not yet. I'm going to use some nasty chemicals later. It'll smell then. Doesn't look like anything. You know, it doesn't look like anything, does it? Hasn't got a colour or anything, really. Does it taste of anything? No, not really. Air is it's kind of something and nothing, isn't it? But when you're trying to build a car that's going to go a thousand miles an hour, air is the thing that's going to stop you. Okay, so you need to be able to push through it. Now, to prove to you that air is definitely not nothing, I need a volunteer. We're going to see if we can move somebody just using air. Right, would you like to come up for me? If you'd like to come around this way. Take a step up here. What's your name? Jahan. Jahan, right. Now, you stay there, because I'm going to bring you a seat just to make sure you're really comfortable for this experiment, okay? Now, here's the seat, and on it, I'm going to place a nice big cushion, a nice big balloon. It's not a whoopee balloon. People get very disappointed. They think it's a whoopee balloon. It's, it's not a whoopee cushion. I'm not going to make any nasty noises, but we're going to see if I can move you, push it back a little way, just using air. So would you like to have a seat there? I've got my nice pump here. <sighs> Limbered up. Let's see if I can just slot that on. Let's see if I can move you with a few pumps of air. <laughs> How's that feel? <laughs> I better start before I tip you off the stage. So we're definitely able to move a whole person there with some air, weren't we? Air is not nothing. Thank you, Johan. Would you like to sit down? Let's give him a clap. Well done. Right, let's just put that back down there. 
And uh, if ours are not nothing, then we need to understand how to, uh, to avoid being slowed down by it. If I take a piece of paper here and try and throw it to you guys, I don't have much luck, do I? What should I do to that bit of paper to make it go more easily through the air? Go on, what do I need to do? I could make it into a paper aeroplane, couldn't I? Shall I try that? It's a long time since I've made a paper aeroplane. See if I can remember how to do it from when I was uh, at school. Okay, let's see how I do. I have a book of all different types of aer paper aeroplanes that you could make and could weight the front. It's great. It's all coming back to me now. Right, let's see if I can aim this at you. If it's coming towards your eyes, just, you know, close them. Oh, not bad. It's a stunt plane. Well, you know, I never used to make that when I was little. It's a good idea. What we need to do is change the shape, don't we? We need to make it a shape that's going to nice and easily break its way through the air. The less flat surfaces there are facing the air, the pointier something is, the easier it is to break through. I need a volunteer to help to prove that now. So somebody really strong. Really, really strong. You look strong. Would you like to come and give me a hand? What's your name? James. James. Okay, James, if you don't stand here for me. Now, James, I'm not saying anything bad about Science Oxford, all right, but sometimes I do this experiment, and if I'm in a room that hasn't been cleaned that well, dust kind of gets dislodged from things. So just in case we dislodge any dust, I'm going to put these goggles on you. They're only going to make you look like a great engineer, okay? So you're looking good there, James. And I'm going to give you this to hold. So if you hold on to that with both hands, I, over there, have got a big leaf blower. So I'm going to push a jet of air towards this. So if you stand with it just facing like that, that way, when the air hits this, what's going to happen? It's going to go that way, isn't it? I can see you guys pointing. So your job is to try and resist it, all right? Try and, try and withstand the air that I'm going to push at it. Excellent. Now, it's going to be quite noisy when I do this, so if you don't like loud noises, you might want to put your fingers in your ears, okay? It's quite safe, but it's just a bit noisy. Right. I knew I'd picked a strong one. Well done. What could we do to that shape to make it easier for James? What, what does he need to do to that paddle? You're already kind of doing it, aren't you? What should he do? Turn it round, absolutely. So if we turn it round so it's got a flat edge like that, this time, hopefully, the air will just go either side. It'll be able to push through. We won't have too much difficulty. Let's try that. Ready? Okay. Are you guys ready? <laughs> well, that is burger breaking a sweat. Well done, James. Thank you very much. I think you should get a round of applause for that. Well done. That well. Thank you very much. Excellent. So we, we kind of understand the shape the car needs to be. It needs to not have flat surfaces, like a bus. That's not very streamlined. It needs to be pointy. And once the uh, engineers in Swansea have designed the shape they think is, is going to work for that, they get pictures that look a bit like this. They test out different designs in a big supercomputer at Swansea University. And it shows the different um, areas of pressure on the car, the places where there might be a problem, where they might have to do some reinforcing. And they try all different shapes and all different scenarios through the computer 
to test out the best shape. When they think they've got a good one, they put it in a big wind tunnel and actually test it for real. Now, obviously, I haven't got a full-size wind tunnel with me, but I have got a little wind tunnel with me, and I'm going to try now to test a couple of shapes in it so we can all see what happens to the airflow. So I need to just hop up here and change this over because I've set the video camera onto it so that everybody can see. Now, unfortunately, it's a bit reflective, but hopefully you'll still be able to see what's happening inside. So here's my wind tunnel. I need to make some wind go through it. So I've got a fan at the end of it here, just sucking the air through. And on this side, I've just got a, an old um, drain pipe stuffed with straws. And the straws do a great job of making the air go through really smoothly. It's what we call laminar flow. So we've got a nice smooth bit of wind going through there, but we can't see it, can we? So to be able to see it, I need to add some smoke. And to do that, I'm going to burn some incense. Okay, but we won't do that just yet. First of all, I'm going to pop the shape in. And the first shape I wanted to look at is a flat shape. We don't like that, do we? We don't want our car to have a flat surface. Let's see why. What happens to the flat surface when the air goes through? So let's grab these together. Just light a few of these. I apologise if you don't like the smell of the incense, but it won't last very long. Right. Can you see that? And as it hits the flat edge, we're getting, I'm going to see if I can point at the same time, we're getting all sorts of turbulence, we're getting some air spraying up here. You can't see it's quite as clear, but some of it's coming down here, some of it's even coming around here. We're getting all sorts of... Of, uh, of problems. They would be problems if this was an actual car, okay? They're going to create uneven airflow, which is going to flip the car over. So we need to make it a nice, smooth airflow. If you've ever driven a car on a motorway and something like a bit of uh, paper or a leaf or something has come up towards the windscreen, it doesn't usually actually stick on the windscreen, does it? It usually comes really close and then kind of flies up over the car. And that's the reason, as it hits the front of the car, the air actually then goes up and over. So it gets caught up in that air. So you can see the shape of it there. Right, let's put in something a little bit more realistic, like this car, and see what happens to the airflow over the front of there. And now you can see, I mean, it's not perfect because this isn't a Formula One car. It's not a Bloodhound car or anything like that. But you can see it's a much smoother flow. None of it's going down here even if I put the smoke a bit lower, none of it goes down there. None of it's curling back. We've got a really nice, smooth, streamlined shape. And that's exactly what Bloodhound are aiming for. So they test out all the different uh, designs until they find one that is the most streamlined, that's going to go through the air most easily. Just going to put those out and turn the fan off as well. There we go. So that's the shape. What are they going to make the car from? How are they going to make this car strong enough to withstand the huge forces involved in travelling at, sorry, I'm trying to talk and think at the same time, travelling at a thousand miles an hour? Well, for a start, the most important thing is to keep the driver of the car safe. There's a few rules about doing a land speed record. You can't just drive really fast and hope that that counts. One of the rules is the car has to have a driver. It can't be remote controlled. It can't just be a rocket-fired thing. It's got to have a driver. One of the other rules is all four wheels have to stay on the ground at the same time. 
And that sounds like an obvious rule, but when you're travelling that fast, it's quite easy to accidentally actually start taking off, a bit like an aeroplane. So the car has a big fin on the back, whose job is to actually push it down into the ground and keep the wheels on the ground. The, the car has to be steerable, so you have to actually be able to turn the wheels a little bit. I mean, it's got a huge turning circle, but it's got to be steerable a little bit. And it's got to turn round, it's got to do one run, turn round and come back and do it again. Now, just turning the car round at the end is a job for, for an engineer. That, that in itself is a massive challenge. You can't just drive around in a big circle. So what's more than likely is they end up picking it up with a crane and turning it round and putting it back down again. And this has all got to be done within the set time limits as well. You can't take all day about it. So, as I was saying, the driver, his name's Andy Green and he's an RAF pilot, and he's going to be in here in what we call a safe cell. Now, this is the strongest part of the car, okay? But to build the whole car like this would be far too heavy. So they build this little cell where the driver's going to sit. And the idea is that whatever happens, he'll be safe in here. That's why it's a safe cell. The rest of the car, you can see that at the front bit here and the bit on top here. The rest of the car is built with a kind of steel skeleton. But even steel is very heavy. Metal's a heavy thing, isn't it? So what they're going to do is build this, this steel frame and then cover it in something called carbon fibre. And I actually brought some carbon fibre with me. So if I leave a little bit with you guys, if you want to sort of pass it down the rows at your end of the room, have a look at it and then pass it along and you can do the same that side. It's a bit like cotton. It looks just like a normal thread, but carbon fibre is very, very strong, can withstand huge forces. Because it is a thread, it can be woven into a cloth. And that's just what happens and because it's now been woven in different directions, we've got that strength in lots of different directions on the cloth. So we're making it really, really strong. But you wouldn't cover a car in cloth, would you? So what they do is they wrap the cloth around the frame and then harden it. And once it's hardened, it looks like this. Really hard, really light and really strong. Okay? And it's not just a bloodhound that's going to be built out of carbon fibre. It's used in things like uh, sports rackets, um, mountain bikes, all sorts of things that need something strong and light. So if you want to pass that around as well and have a look at that, that's what it looks like after it's been treated. So it's a, it's a very, very useful material, carbon fibre. And while you're having a look at that, I thought we could test just how strong it is. So I'm just going to step over here. I've got a set of... Uh, scales here which are held up with just some carbon fibre thread and a set of weights to test it out with. It's becoming slightly frayed, I've done this experiment a few times but I'm sure that it will still be strong enough to hold up to the weight. So let's start with 100 grams, okay? Not a very big weight and as we'd expect no problem at all in holding it up. These are 200 grams, let's put one of those on. That's okay. 400. Let's add that 100 again and make it 500. It's a half a kilo and we're not even struggling at all. If you've ever tried to, to you know, just break a bit of cotton, you know you can just yank on that and break it quite easily. This is much stronger than something like cotton. Let's make it up to a kilo now. Still not a problem. Still not breaking at all. In fact, I can go all the way to two kilograms and 
I'm still not breaking that carbon fibre. This stuff is incredibly strong, okay? And we could keep going if I had the energy to carry any more weights than that around with me when I'm travelling around the country. But uh, we won't, because I haven't. But it's usually strong stuff, carbon fibre, really useful for building anything that needs to be strong and light, not just cars. Right. Now, I'm going to show you something in a minute. As I keep mentioning, Bloodhound is going to be travelling at 1,000 miles an hour. Now, that's faster than the speed of sound, which means that as you go through the speed of sound, you create something called a sonic boom, okay? And uh, some of you may have heard an aeroplane do this. Perhaps if you've been to an air show, this is what it looks like. This is a picture of an aeroplane breaking the sound barrier, going faster than the speed of sound. You can all create a cloud. There's such a massive change in pressure that the water that's in the air condenses out and actually makes a little cloud. So there's a cloud over the wings and there's a smaller one here over the cockpit. That's going to happen to bloodhounds. Bloodhound breaks the sound barrier, okay? But just how fast are we talking? Well, it's hard for us to imagine because we don't see things that travel at the speed of sound. Um, there is something that travels at twice the speed of sound, and that's a whip. So I brought a whip with me not knowing that the ceiling in here is only just above my hand. So I'm not going to be able to show you my whip, I'm afraid. It would just, I'd never be allowed back. However, I have got a short video I can show you, taken with a high-speed camera, which, funnily enough, slows it down the action. So you can see in slow motion what happens when a whip is cracked. That sharp, snapping crack noise you get from a whip actually comes from the end of the whip travelling at about twice the speed of sound. So something, I was going to say something is every day as a whip, I don't think it's that every day, but more every day than a supersonic car actually travels faster than the speed of sound. Let's have a quick look at that video on here. Let me just uh, step out of the way. And there it is. What happens is a little bend gets faster and faster and faster as it travels down because the whip gets thinner. And then when it gets to the very thin bit, it is travelling around about twice the speed of sound. It does depend on the whip. But you get that sharp crack that you hear when a whip is cracked. And I'm really sorry that I can't show you because I have been practising for ages as well. But it's, it's just too risky in here. Right, let's go down to here. I used to have this in a PowerPoint, but it kept crashing because of all the videos, so I now run them separately, which is a bit clunkier, but it, it is more reliable. That's why I'm doing it like that. So the speed of sound is, is, uh, is very, very fast. A thousand miles an hour is even faster. If you blinked, you would miss Bloodhound going past. Okay? It travels the length of four football pitches in one second. So we're talking about huge speed, that kind of, yeah. Wow, exactly. We're getting... So the kind of speed is very difficult to imagine. I mean, I, I brought my van along here today, and I was on the motorway doing 70 miles an hour, and okay, my van's not that streamlined, and there is a little bit of a dent in the side, which doesn't help. But it was juddering and shaking. I was thinking, what kind of noise would you experience travelling at 1,000 miles an hour? I mean, it's just going to be an incredible experience for the guy that actually does it. But how is it going to happen? How are we actually going to power that car? Okay, and this is the really exciting bit, okay? This is the bit that's... Uh, it is the stuff that gets people excited because they're going to power it using three different things. One thing they're going to use is a jet engine. Okay? And a jet engine, just the kind of jet engine you get on an aeroplane, is going to compress the air 
as it goes through and it's going to heat it up. Air that gets squashed gets hot, okay? And uh, if I'd have touched that pump after I'd been pumping it, then it would have felt warm as I'd been compressing air inside it. Because the air gets hot, we can spray it with fuel, which makes it catch fire. That sounds like a bad idea, but it's great if you want to make a car go really fast. Throws all that hot air and all that flame out the back of the car and pushes it along, okay? And that's just what they're doing with Bloodhound. They're taking an aeroplane engine, a jet engine, and actually filling it full of fuel and then adding a bit more fuel for luck and throwing it all out the back of the car to push it forwards. We can see how that happens. Got another video on here. Uh, I just go down. So this is what's happening in that engine. The cold air comes in here. A lot of it just passes through and nothing happens to it. So that goes out the bag. Some of it, however, goes in here and goes through the fans, which are, uh, which are squashing air, compressing air. As you can see, it comes out when it comes out as a red arrow, when it just got hot. And if it comes out right in here, it gets sprayed with that fuel, gets ignited, and a bit more fuel in the tailpipe here. And that creates the kind of jet that comes out of the back. So this is the, how a jet engine works. That's only a real way of powering the car, though. That on its own is not going to get to 1,000 miles an hour. We need to do something else. Has anyone got any idea what we could do, what we're going to put on this car to make it go 1,000 miles an hour? Okay, well, I'll give you a clue, okay? They're all going space missions. They put them on space shuttles, okay? We're going to use a rocket to fire this car. That's how much power we need. Right, let's get rid of that. And uh, go back to my slightly clunky... Oh, no, not to that. To that. So... Sorry, I'm just gonna... There's the rocket, okay, and there's the jet engine as well. So you can see there's two things going on there to fire the car. The way it works is very simply explained, actually. It's not very complicated science at all. It's all about Newton's third law. Now, don't be scared, because I know I mentioned, you know, a law of science. But it's a really simple law, and you all know it, okay? It's that one of, you know, you push me, I push you back. If you put a force on something, it will push back with an equal force. So if you chuck a load of air out of a plane or out of a car, it's going to push the car or the aeroplane back in the opposite direction. I can show you, just using this little uh, toy here, so nothing particularly high-tech, I'm going to blow this up. Now, I'm quite, uh, quite rubbish at blowing these up properly, so you guys have to tell me when you think there's enough air in this balloon, okay? Because I, I never know. It's just a little bit thirsty, actually. I'm going to stop for a drink for a minute. Mm. Oh. What did we decide? More? A bit more. There's all the grown-ups that are saying, yeah, put more in, more. Yeah, go on, go on. You can do it. I think I'm going to stop there. Mainly because I'm running out of air in my lungs. Right, so, we know the principle, 
We've got our balloon full of air. I'm holding it in at the moment, my finger and thumb. If I were to let go like this, can you all point for me which way will the air go? That way, that's right. And which way will the balloon go? That way. If I turn it round, you'd like to think, wouldn't you? Which way will the world go? That way. Which way will the balloon go? And if I do that, which way will the air go? And if I let go, which way will the balloon go? I'm not going to do that though, am I? Because it's going to hit the wall. So let's see what happens. Mm, I don't know who to aim it at. I'll aim it at Dominic. Oh. It just got stuck today. It's having an off day, my balloon. Never mind. Would you like to pass that back to me? Thank you very much. This is not particularly stable, actually. It's not a nice, smooth shape like we're going to design Bloodhound to be. So I can't control very easily where it goes. But it's the same principle. We're pushing air out the back, which is pushing the balloon in the opposite direction. With Bloodhound, we push air out the back, it pushes the car. It's just that with Bloodhound, we push a lot more air a lot faster, okay, to get it to go to a thousand miles an hour. How do we do that? Well, as I mentioned, we've got a jet engine. And uh, Bloodhound isn't the first land speed record car either. There were others. This car. Does anybody know what this car is actually in the airfield? Do people recognise it? Yeah? It's Bluebird, yes, that's right. This is Bluebird, which set the land speed record at about 400 miles an hour. It's actually got a lot in common with Bloodhound. It's got a very streamlined shape. You can see that kind of small, flat, to, low to the ground. Big tail thing, keeping, it, uh, keeping those four wheels on the ground. That's the job of that bit as well. And it's very, very streamlined. But only 400 miles an hour. After Bluebird, they started using jet engines, okay? And uh, this car set the latest land speed record. This is Thrust SSC, so another supersonic car, set the record at 764 miles per hour. So that's what Bloodhound wants to beat, but by a long way. In fact, the guy who was uh, in charge of this, Richard Noble, is also the guy that's uh, inspired the Bloodhound team. So. He's obviously just a bit of a speed freak. He really likes making fast cars. And one uh, wasn't enough, he wants the next land speed record. But you can see again a lot in common. That pointy nose, as somebody mentioned, it's just like Concorde for the same reason, to break through the air. Here are the big jet engines on thrust as well. So that's what we've just been talking about, compressing that air and throwing it out the back with lots of fuel. And again, you can just see that tail fin there. It's like a spinning car, but bigger and more important. And uh, in this car, Andy Green kind of sat in there. And we're going to have a look at a video at the end of the show of what it was like in the cockpit of this car as they broke the land speed record. So there was a cockpit camera. And, um, and we're going to see what that was like. But as I mentioned, Bloodhound has a, a rocket on it. Okay, And um, so I'm just going to try and move a few things, I think. Over there, make some space. Because I'm going to try and show you just what they do in this rocket. Okay, but we need a little bit of space. Now, the rocket is a hybrid rocket, which means it's got some solid fuel in it, which burns very, very powerfully. But they also add an oxidizer to make it burn faster. Basically, you need three things to create a fire or to burn something. Does anybody know what those three things are? Oh, quite a few people, yeah? Oxygen's one, yeah, gave you a bit of a clue there, didn't I? You do need oxygen. What else do you need, Jess? Heat. 
heat, that's right, so you need a spark or some heat to ignite it. What else do you need? You need a third thing, don't you, yeah? Fuel. Fuel. You've got to have something to burn. So by putting those three things together, by adding some extra oxygen from our oxidising agent, we're going to make it burn hotter and faster and power the car even further and even faster, okay? And as I said, it's a little bit extravagant. 7,000 litres of fuel for one trip. But they are only doing one trip and they have to get it right. So you know, this is what they're going to be doing to try and make this car go at this speed. The oxidising uh, thing that they're going to use is hydrogen peroxide and I've brought some with me. So we're going to see how it makes oxygen. Now the chemical formula for hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. Does that remind anybody of anything? It's a bit similar to something isn't it? What's it similar to? It's very similar to water. Water's formula is H2O, two hydrogens and an oxygen. Hydrogen peroxide is water with an extra oxygen. And that makes it very unstable. It doesn't like having that extra oxygen. It tries to get rid of it. So it's constantly breaking down into water and oxygen. And we want that oxygen, okay? That's what's going to give us a really hot uh, burning rocket. So what we're going to do is putting some hydrogen peroxide into this bottle. But on its own, it doesn't look very special and it breaks down quite slowly. We'd be here a long time before we got much oxygen. So I'm also going to add a catalyst which will speed up that reaction. It's going to be the same reaction but just happening faster. So then we can check whether we've got oxygen being made. Now, because it's not a very nice chemical, I'm going to put on my gloves and goggles. Hydrogen peroxide is the stuff that you bleach your hair with, except this is about eight times more concentrated than hair bleach. So uh, I don't want to be spilling it anywhere or splashing it anywhere. And something else that's quite interesting about this um, reaction is it's actually exothermic, which means it gets hot. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is so that if anybody is tempted to come up at the end of the show and touch this stuff, Please don't, because it's hot, okay? And we're actually not just going to make water, we're actually going to see steam. That's how hot it's going to get. So let's tip a little bit of that in there. So this is the stuff they add to the rocket fuel to make it burn quicker. That's probably enough. Then I'm going to add, just for effect really, a couple of drops of fairy liquid, because uh, that gives us nice bubbles to see where the oxygen is. Oops, a drip there. Otherwise we can't really catch the oxygen very easy. So we'll catch it in, uh, in some bubbles. And then I'm going to add our catalyst, which is potassium iodide. That's going to make the reaction happen really quickly. So it's happening now, it's just happening slowly. We want to make sure we've got oxygen. So how am I going to test for oxygen? Does anybody know what the test is? Any of the older... Uh, the older young people. <laughs> like, yes. Uh, Relighted glowing splint. Absolutely. So if we've got oxygen, we should be able to relight a glowing splint. Failing that, because <laughs> it is full of washing up liquid, so sometimes it's quite soggy oxygen. Failing that, we should at least get a nice little sparkle as the oxygen burns. But hopefully we'll be able to relight the splint. So make sure I've got everything lined up, because it's, uh, it's pretty quick when it actually happens. And uh, put those out of the way. Let's add a little bit of potassium iodide now. Doing this with rubber gloves on is really difficult. I just thought I'd share that because I, I just keep flicking it all over the place. Ooh, that's a bit too much. There we go. That should be all right. 
So there's the steam. And there's all our oxygen-filled washing-up liquid. Right, quick, quick, gloves off, light the spoon, quick before the oxygen goes. Quick, 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 quick. And if I blow that out, hopefully, I think it might be a bit too soggy at the moment. Should have got in quick when there was all that bubbles. But if I touch it to this, you can sort of see it just... Oh, there you go, it did relight it. I didn't think it would. We've relit the glowing splints. We've definitely got some oxygen in those bubbles, okay? It's not just normal washing up liquid. Please don't come and touch it at the end. All right, it will have cooled down quite a bit, but just in case, I'd hate anybody to have a nasty accident. There we go, nice big flame. Right, that's what they add to that rocket, okay? So, solid fuel and extra oxygen give you a really nice fast-burning rocket. And this is what it looks like. They went and tested this rocket in the desert, and here's the film of it. Well, one of these is the film of it. Here it is. Uh, you'll see that all right? So what you're looking at, just before I start it, this in the far corner, ooh, I've just lost my mouse. There it is, just where the mouse is here, this is the rocket, okay? So uh, that's the solid, solid fuel. And you'll see just how hot it burns and how noisy it is when that burns. I quite like the little kind of <coughs> at the end as it just gets rid of our last little bit of fuel. So, sorry, I'm just going to try and get back onto the schedule here. There we go. Do that and do that. We've kind of looked at uh, some of the engineering challenges involved in building a car like Bloodhound. We've looked at the shape of the car, making it streamlined making sure that there's no big bumps on it, they're going to flip the car over. But designing a safe area for the driver and making sure that it's nice and light. Of course, the heavier it is, the more fuel it needs. We don't want to be using too much fuel. We've uh, had a quick look at what the speed of sound actually means and what 1,000 miles an hour is like. And I want to come back to that now because I want us to have a look inside that cockpit video of the previous land speed record, 764 miles an hour. It's not going to be the same at 1,000 miles an hour. It's going to be even more so, okay? But it'll just give you a little flavour of what it's like. 7,000 litres of fuel. A rocket. Two engines. I haven't actually mentioned the second engine. So there's the jet engine. There's a second engine there, a Formula One engine, whose only job is to pump that oxidising stuff into the rocket to make sure it keeps burning. There's a whole Formula One engine just to do that. It pumps about 22 tonnes of oxi oxidising agent through every second. It's a really powerful engine. So we're all that, and there's this one guy sitting in the middle of it all, trying to keep it on track. Okay. I don't want to do that job. I'm glad they've got somebody else to do it. But some of the challenges involved are just really, really exciting. So let's have a look at what it was like for the last record. Thank you. 
So he's talking to uh, sort of mission control, if you like. A couple of things to listen for. He tells them how fast he's going, so it gradually gets faster and faster. You can watch how much more difficult it becomes to steer at higher speeds. And uh, as he slows down, you can hear him releasing the parachutes as well. So I'll, I'll just shut up now and you can watch it. Fifty miles an hour, that is. done it, okay? It's slowing down now. All calming down a little bit now. So he goes, released his parachute now. There's two parachutes. I'll stop him now because he just carries on heavy breathing for a while, really. But um, it takes about five miles an hour to stop, okay? So there's all sorts of things that need to be thought about. Um, one of the things is they're doing this in the desert. Okay? Um, they're actually going to test it in South Africa. And one of the reasons for using desert is that, first of all, it's, it's quite a nice, compact, hard, flat surface. But secondly, there's no people that get in the way. There's no buildings. There's no animals. There's nothing, really, that's going to actually uh, interrupt having a really nice little stretch to do this test, right, well, to do this run and turn around and come back again. But it's somebody's job, or it's lots of people's job, to go along picking up every single pebble, anything at all on the track that could just disrupt the car, could knock it over. Because any kind of change, any, any bumps or anything, could be enough to actually put it off course or to, to flip it. So, 
huge challenges from building the car itself to finding the right place to test it and, and how to actually do that. And I just want to make clear as well that engineering is not just about fast cars, okay? There are a host of engineering challenges out there. There are engineers working in medicine, in hospitals, helping people. There are electrical engineers. There are people building things like mobile phones and MP3 players. They're engineers. What I can guarantee you is that 99% of engineers do not wear greasy overalls and work in a garage. Okay, there is a whole, well, there's anything wrong with that, but there's a whole range of jobs available to engineers. They get a bit of a bad press, they might get a bit of a bad name, but uh, people don't know what they do, basically, and they do really cool, exciting stuff like this. So, who knows what the next engineering challenge will be, but maybe some of the young guys in the audience here are going to be the people who grab it by both hands and do something really amazing. I'm going to stop talking now because you've all sat so well. I'm <laughs> well impressed. It's rather warm in here. Um, but I am happy to take any questions. And we're very lucky to have uh, Tristan at the back as well, who's um, an ambassador for the Bloodhound Project, who may be able to answer any questions that I can't because uh, we're, we're both kind of here to talk about the show. If you don't have any questions, that's fine. Feel, feel free to uh, carry on. I don't know if Dominic wants to say anything. Just just, thank you. Oh. Right, that was a question, yeah. When is the target date for this run? Next, well, the test run, I think, is next uh, next year, isn't it, in South Africa, but that's just kind of testing things out. I think the general theory, from what I heard last time, um, is t this year they're building it. I spent yeah. two, three years designing it. Got the computers now. There's no wind tunnel practices and all that sort no, of thing. No, they've done that. They've done the computers for years. The guys iterating it, changing it, changing this, that and the other. Um, uh, they've finished that now. No, they've, they've got far enough that we can now start. They can now start cutting metal. That will happen, let's say, during the course of this year. I think it's going to, therefore, the start of 2011. They'll start doing a few runs on British mm. airfields, that sort of thing, just to get things a couple of hundred miles under, uh, miles an hour under their belt. Possibly the end of that year, 2011, they'll start going to the South African desert. Have a go see how it goes and the idea might be the following year 800 miles an hour the following year 900 the following year a thousand it will just depend on how it goes it's trying to finger in the air a bit pressure's on as well though isn't it because they're not the only team trying to break the record there's there's other teams working on yeah, it around the world yes so, uh, with, with varying degrees of science <laughs> some of them involve taking a big plane and knocking the wings off hmm. uh, which might work good luck to them. Uh, there's an awful lot more science going into some of this but that's that's around some of the others because there's a lot of cleverness going on yeah um I mean, just to introduce myself, I've nothing to do, sort of thing, with the Bloodhound project. I'm just one of the um, ambassadors that have been part of this, this twofold sort of aims. One is a thousand miles an hour, and the other is the, the generating enthusiasm for science, technology, engineering, and maths within, well, particularly schools. Yeah. Because literally coming through the universities now and for the foreseeable future, there are not enough engineers and others to service what we currently have. I think even the MOD are saying they're not enough just for us. Mm. So generating enthusiasm, so my sort of job is a pure volunteer, interested in this, a bit of an engineer from my background, and I'm going to learn a bit more and then deliver presentations maybe like this, maybe with a few less props, <laughs> um, to schools who want it, different age groups, what have you. There are, in theory, hundreds of us being trained up and generating our own 
probably generating our own versions of this presentation. Yeah. Um, also doing a load of practicals, which are sort of coming through now. If you keep on on the website and keep perhaps hassling your teachers, yeah. there's all sorts of build a rocket car. Yeah, speaking of that. which, I think everybody should have a leaflet with the website on it and some information. It's definitely worth visiting. And if you don't have a leaflet, come and see me because I've got plenty of spare ones. There's some on the desk. And there's some on the desk. Do visit the website. There's stuff you can do on there to do with uh, the car and looking at what they're doing. And, uh, and there's also ways you can get involved in the project as well and educational things to try yourself. So um, it's, it's a pretty good education resource, that. Uh, and have a, have a look at it. Were there any other questions? Oh, yeah. Considering this is a, a, a speed um, challenge you're doing, um, why did you choose the Bloodhound? Because I'm sure it wants to be I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's got nothing to do with slobbering dogs, no. Absolutely, particularly as they are the fastest of dogs at the best of times. Uh, I think, again, you're wrecking my knowledge because my knowledge is fairly thin. Things yeah. to do with a missile. Yeah, a blood somewhere in the background. Somewhere. Bloodhound was originally a missile, and that's that's where this name comes from. Um, but I, more than that, I couldn't possibly say. Richard Melbourne would be the guy who would know that the uh, the, shall we say, eccentric uh, guy who's you know, steamrolling the project. He's done it, it, He's done it before. Be He's just not going to stop. I think is he? Wow, well, one day. <laughs> Any more? Yeah. It's the idea that it starts off with the jet engine yes. and the rocket motor yeah. kicks in. Kicks in, yeah. The jet engine gets you to 400. Right. The two jet engines on the last one got it to 760, but that's about the limit. You start needing to strap more and more, and they tend to get a bit big and bulky from the aerodynamic point of view. And the jet engine was the one on top, and the rocket small one below? It's an interesting one, and from an engineering point of view, it's, a, it's been an interesting thing. For three years, they've had the rocket on the bottom, no, the jet engine on the bottom, the rocket on the top, because you want a nice big lump, because the jet engine is about three times bigger and heavier, four times bigger and heavier than the rocket. Put that down low, because it keeps the centre of gravity low. About three months ago, five, six months ago, mm. one of the, the engineers went in and said, oh, I was thinking in the night, <laughs> you know, one of those sort of half asleep with a notepad beside the bed. Why don't we change them over? Because we've got a few stability issues on the projections. And they said, well, actually, if we put the rocket at the bottom, apparently, that, because that's the major thrust, when that kicks in, blimey, it's going to, uh, I think it'll do something like 400 to 700, 800 miles an hour. That acceleration will take about three seconds, which is another staggering statistics. Mm. Put that thrust <coughs> low down and it keeps the thing more stable, even though you put the big heavy engine on top. And so they went, no, that's that silly. Oh, actually, it might be quite sensible. Might work. Let's bung it through the computer. And they come out, yeah, let's do it that way. The only, there is a slight issue. Andy Green said, um, the driver said, can we please just have a reality check on this? I've got to go down this piece of desert, turn around, and within an hour, again, a series of challenges, come back again. If you put the rocket on the bottom, just check what it's going to do to that desert, because I'm not happy coming through a plough field on my way back. <laughs> <laughs> so they've checked that out, and, uh, and thankfully, um, it will be happy. Anyone else? Why is there so many engines? Well, because you can't have one that gets you all the way there. And the rocket on its own, <coughs> It's just not enough to get started. 
They're so it's too powerful, too quickly, and it's too difficult to control. And it also doesn't last for very long. When you've got a set size of rocket, it only lasts, and I can't remember the exact, I think it's about 15 seconds. And you want that to be happening at the high speeds to really get you up to that speed that no one's ever been to on land before. And then the, the amazing thing is this third engine, which is a V12 race engine, that's what you have to have just purely to pump the fuel. And it's going to be a monster pump along the land. Yes. Does it just have one wheel at front? The rules say four, so it's got four. Um, <coughs> there might be advantages to go for three if, if you could, but the rules say four. Yeah. Uh, so they don't necessarily have to be four corners, as it were, no. though, do they? So you could have two at the back and then two in a row like that at the front. And I think because the last car, the one from the late 90s, had two at the front, and then two narrow ones at the back, and for a while, in fact, I think till the end, they were staggered like that at the back. So it went along like that, which is a bit of a funny way, but it worked for them. Um, the wheels are an amazing piece of design from an engineering point of view. No one's ever had that. You can't have little tyres because it would just cut into the sand or whatever. You've got to have some fairly big treads. They're not tyres because it's not rubber. It's just a. I think it's going to be a, a titanium, but possibly with some carbon fibre uh, stuff in. But you've got a great little like, 900 millimetres diameter. And if you imagine with a fairly big tread on the outside, I think the radial G, sorry, the, the, the four, which is a, a measure of the force trying to blow that wheel apart as it's going at speed, is <coughs> about 10,000 radial G, which is, well, if you're going fast around a corner, in a car, you might just get to, well, a racing car gets to about 5G in a Formula 1 driver. So 10,000G blowing itself apart. Um, it's a good example where we've got, um, the team have got a whole load of industrial sponsors. So instead of getting money in or instead of trying to have to do everything themselves, for instance, Lockheed Martin, the UK arm of Lockheed Martin, who build a lot of air defence, sort of aircraft and missiles and all sorts. Um, they are a serious partner in designing those, helping design those wheels. And, you know, they're trying things out that they really like to try out because they haven't done it before. <laughs> We're actually pleased to have sent one member of our audience to sleep now, so maybe we should say, uh, you know, feel free to go. If you have any more questions, come and talk to us. We're going to be hanging around, um, but maybe we should sort of draw the formal proceedings to a close because there's quite a few people who probably out past their bedtime. Is that all right, <laughs> Absolutely, and we can, uh, we can go downstairs uh, and we can get a, a glass of juice or a glass of wine or whatever. Um, I'm guessing Tristan, you're okay to hang around for a bit. Um, I, I can hang around for a bit. Yeah, hang, <laughs> hang around for a bit. So if you've got any more questions, maybe we can do them downstairs. Yeah, in a, not in a, a problem. Less formal context. Yeah. But um, if we can have a, a, a round of applause for Tristan and an enormous. Round of applause. <laughs>